You're listening to the Sleepy Games Podcast. Scared. <laughs> hello, hello. Welcome again to the Sleepy Games Podcast. Uh, we are your hosts, James Games and Sleepy John. What's going on? Sleepy John, it's good to hear from you. I missed you. I missed it too, buddy. Oh, I'll stop it. Uh, let's get right into it, shall we? I'll start off with this one. So, this week I watched this TV show called Beef on Netflix. That's like the Road Rage one or something, isn't it? Or... It sure is. You know about this. Uh, don't ask me how or why I know about it, but apparently I do. Yes. So, um, I had no idea what to think. I've I, I never, never seen any trailers. Um, all I saw was number one on Netflix, and I saw a whole bunch of things on social media. Um, people posting how it's like the best show of the year. It's like, it's, it's, it's crazy what the show turns into from like the simple premise and it, it, even even Justin Timberlake, you know, he 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 uh, he posted about it, and we know we all know. Your boyfriend, how much I, yeah, I know he's, he's my man crush, and we all yeah. yeah we all know how much I <laughs> love that man. The first, I would say, five minutes into the episode, I'm hooked. It it gets right into the road road rage scene, almost like with I mean, like right away, right away you're in the thick of it, and you see like you, you see how crazy uh, the that scene just kind of turns into where, so it stars Steven, Steven uh, Yan and Ali Wong, who's a comedian. I've known her from like, from standup. I, I've seen her in a role before. It was the one with Keanu Reeves, where it was like a romantic comedy. But other than that, I haven't really seen her in anything else, but both of them together are dynamite where they bring the, their dramatic chops and also the comedic. And it, that's what makes, so the show is basically a dramedy. But what's so special about the show is how simple the premise is from just starting out with road rage and kind of how elaborate the show gets and kind of all connected it becomes. And you have no idea where it's going to be. It's impossible to predict like where the show is going to be going. It, it's a very unique show. And I, I, I think I think a good amount of people who give it a chance will, will love it. And I highly you said it was called uh, Turkey Sausage? Close. It's called beef. <laughs> it's beef. Where's the beef? <laughs> so yeah. Uh, how about you? Uh, what did you watch this week? Uh, actually, I didn't really uh, didn't really watch anything. Uh, I did uh, do something I haven't really done in God. I, I don't know how long. I actually bought like I purchased a CD, like like physical copy of an album. Where'd you buy that? Uh, the record store. Okay. <laughs> They'll still exist, man. They're, they do. They're, they're they do. Yeah. They're far in between, but they're, they're still out there. And, and I mean, part of the reason I did this is uh, it is a band that I've, I've kind of followed kind of on and off for a long time. And sometimes they do things that I really like. Sometimes uh, they do things that I like not so much, I guess, you know, because they're trying to try out new things. And uh, the band, I, I'm sure you're familiar with them, is Iron Maiden. Yes. 
and uh, this is their uh, their seventeenth album. It's uh, I mean, it's actually it came out a couple of years ago, so it's not like brand new or anything. Um, the title of the album is uh, Senjutsu, so it's kind of got a Japanese influence in it. And uh, the like the the hit track from that you, you can find it on YouTube, Spotify, or whatever. I guess uh, it's called "The Writing on the Wall." And I gotta say, like I've been listening to them a long time, and you know, a lot of times I think bands have their their glory days and everything, right? And like everyone will kind of name off songs from you know like the '80s when it comes to Iron Maiden for sure in terms of like their hits. And uh, I gotta be honest, like the the hit song in this album is probably my favorite song that they've made to date uh which is impressive given that they've been making music for i think it was the late 70s is when they started so you know to still be cranking out what i think are pretty good tunes uh if you're a fan of you know just straight rock like kind of i guess hard rock or whatever you want to call it uh great album uh, great single too, if for nothing else, just the intro and the transitions, the guitar solos are uh, pretty outstanding. Uh, and the reason I'm kind of bringing it up is it does tie into today's topic of discussion a little bit, because this is actually Iron Maiden's 17th, so 1-7 like, album that they've put out. And uh, some people would make the argument that after you get past number 10... You're just turning out garbage. <laughs> and uh, the... You're in your greatest hits era. <laughs> yeah, and then the, the one that we're exploring today is, you know, is uh, Quentin Tarantino, who basically said that after number 10, you're just making shit. So, uh, <laughs> I don't know if that's actually the case, but that is the topic of today. I love that. I, I, I love that smooth transition. You get... <laughs> Oh, just oh, that was butter, butter smooth, yeah, wasn't butter it? Smooth. <laughs> <laughs> that was that was choppy nonsense. I don't even know what the fuck you were going with that, John. I was a little worried. I was like, wait, wait, okay, how's this connect? Ah, that's how it's connected. There it is. Yeah, okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, it actually it it made me think of that when you were saying that last week, though, because I was like, man, like, okay, honestly, I I didn't like I didn't think anything of like their newer stuff or anything, right? Because usually. You know, bands have their glory days for whatever decade was like their decade or whatever, right? And then after that, I find that they don't really tend to make really good music. I, I think Quentin's actually on to something. Like, he, like, I think in a lot of cases, that is true. Like, I think some people do start to dial it in after a while. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, especially as you're getting onto the onwards in the, in the, uh, the years of your career. And I think part of it, you stop having fun. Hmm. If it becomes work, you're pumping out shit. You really, even though I, I know we, we don't talk about much music on the show, other than like other, other than soundtracks and whatnot. But I, I, I liked your point about Iron Maiden with, with bringing out you know something new and then having with their, one of their best songs they've ever created. Because uh, another band just came out with a, with new music. Uh, Depeche Mode, and they came out with a new song, and I think that's one of their best. I haven't listened to that. I actually do like Depeche Mode. Yes, give it, give huh. it a listen. It's called uh, it's called Ghosts Again. Ghosts Again. Yes. Okay, I, I will listen to that one. You should, you should. There's actually um, uh, an animated video that goes along with the uh, 
um, the, the the single from Iron Maiden. The Ooh, writing I'm, the always, I'm always down for a good music video. Yeah, it's like six or seven minutes. Uh, I think it would help if uh, if you're on a bit of an edible or something, but uh, <laughs> it is a good music video. I I liked it. It's you know I, I'm not going to spoil anything for it. Like the the commentary is pretty uh, pretty strong, I guess. Right, as a lot of uh, music videos can be sometimes, but uh, uh, I have an idea where yeah. this is going. Okay, yeah, I'm intrigued. Yeah. Okay, uh, uh, we'll 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 both watch that. You, you listen. You watch the Depeche Mode video. I'll watch the Iron Maiden one, and we'll <laughs> we'll bring this up a little bit, a little quick blurb about it next week. I like it. Sounds good, buddy. And I'm, yeah, so okay, so on that note, let, let's talk about True Romance. Let's talk yeah, about that was the homework. Yeah, that was the homework. So True Romance is. Not directed by Quentin Tarantino, it is just written by him. So we really wanted to see like how much Quentin Tarantino flair would be put in this movie, even though he's not directing it. Right. And I, I feel like if you could easily fool someone to thinking that he directed this movie, like the okay. only thing I can see, especially him changing, which I feel like is not very Quentin Quentin Tarantino for this movie, is the music. Because it, it mm-hmm. has a very like kind of lovey-dovey romantic comedy type of <laughs> music at points, <laughs> and I guarantee Quentin Tarantino directed he would not have that in there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're probably right. Yeah, unless unless it's in the script, you know, play lovey-dovey like romantic comedy type music. But well, I, I, I doubt it. <laughs> I, I don't know the specifics, especially because that came on '93. That was kind of the like, correct me if I'm wrong. I think that was kind of the start of his career, give or take, and either yes, maybe. He directed only one movie before then. Yeah, so maybe either he didn't want his hands in here because of the type of movie it is, or maybe he was just at a point in Hollywood where maybe they didn't want him directing as well. Maybe they wanted somebody a bit more known, a bit more proven, I guess. I don't know. Which makes sense, because I'm sure when he he gave the rights away for the script to somebody else, I'm sure... When he did that, maybe Reservoir Dogs didn't even come out yet. But getting into the movie, the one thing that stands out right away is the cast. How good is this cast? Uh, It is kind of like pretty much the highlight of the 90s, I think, in a lot of ways. You know, Gary (laughs) Oldman, Christopher Walken, Christian Slater in his, like, young days, Mm -hmm. Patricia Arquette. Uh, I know there's more. Uh, James Gandolfini, right? Yes, Tony scene. Soprano. Yeah, I'm trying to think. I think that was Dennis Hopper. Dennis Hopper. That's right. Yeah, who seems to be a recurring theme you really in this podcast or whatever. I don't like that. That was the last thing I would have thought of. But yeah, God bless your soul, Dennis Hopper. Yeah, you're living on in our podcast. That's right, buddy. And I think we also forgot Val Kilmer. Did you say that? Did you say Val? I, I didn't say Val Kilmer, but I mean, would you really say he's in the movie? He's Elvis. That is. Well, yeah, but he's never really in the movie. Yes. For all I know, it could be a body double. <laughs> That's just it. Like, it's, I mean, his voice, kind of. I mean, he's got kind of the Elvis twang he's putting on it, so... It could have been fucking Bruce Campbell in the background, for all you know. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm sure some listeners will be disappointed that they're probably wanting our take on the on that new uh, 
uh, Evil Dead Rises movie that came out this past weekend. But I'm sorry, I'm not that big in a horror. I can't watch that gory stuff. <laughs> I, you know what? I, I will make a point to uh, to go. I actually don't. I don't know if it's showing in Sioux Falls though. We have we have one theater, and you know it's not a not a big theater by any means. It's not, it's not like a big multiplex. They have a few theaters, and sometimes they play some of those, those artsy artsy movies from time to time <laughs> which takes away some some choices that's true take away from the mainstream uh, 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 movies coming out but I feel like that one would be there because I, I know it was like the biggest uh, as far as new movies coming out this weekend I think that was one of the biggest ones so I would check check your local showtime today. yeah maybe I'll uh, maybe go check it out I guess uh, but anyway I, I, yeah getting back so mm-hmm. I, I want to break down I think some of these scenes in true so true romance. Like, I, I might even put true romance. Like if we go through ranking of Quentin Tarantino movies, I, I think this is one of like the best he's written. And really? Yes. And and you hadn't uh, you hadn't seen this prior? No, I have seen this before. The last oh, time I saw, oh, saw this, okay. last time I saw this was in college. Gotcha. And rewatching it again, I had a much greater appreciation for a lot of this movie. And I kind of want to break down a few scenes in this movie that I absolutely adore. And the first scene that comes to mind is the scene with Gary Oldman as the pimp. Yeah. I think that is probably some of the best acting I've ever seen Gary Oldman do. And, that, and that's saying something. And Gary Oldman's probably one of the best actors ever. He, he the, does have a. He's got a crazy, crazy range. That guy. Yes, I mean, yeah. I mean, how, how can you be Commissioner Gordon and then play a pimp? You know, like, yep, <laughs> that's it's, it's incredible, and he he owns like he he just is captivating in that scene. Like you're hanging on every word, and you're kind of you're scared to death. Like, what is this guy capable of? Because like, I think yeah. you just you just show him like he just blasted some full. You know, for all that, for all the cocaine and everything, and then so you're just like, oh my god, like I'm on edge here. So, uh, what do you think about that scene? I mean, I'm, I'm sure you probably, you're probably taking. You're like, whoa, I didn't know Gary Oldman had this in him. You know, again, like you're 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 100 was phenomenal, phenomenal acting, and he's got good uh, he's got good script dialogue too that he's got to go with, uh, which I know Quentin Tarantino is a pretty famous for writing. I think yes. good dialogue. Um, so yeah, it, it, it's a good scene from that respect. I, I, I do agree with you. I'm glad because that that's definitely one of the biggest standouts of the movie for me. And it, it was cool to see Christian Slayer like keeping up with him as well in that whole scene where you kind of don't know where it's going. Like you, I guess you were. I mean, I don't want to go into too many spoilers. I want our listeners to listen to watch it. So I still think it's a pretty underrated gem. This movie. And yeah, I, I I don't know. I, I guess yeah, I'm curious about like your whole take on the whole thing, and then I'll I guess I'll kind of give my opinion too. So yeah, it, I mean yeah. It, it, it does get fairly over the top, as you know Quentin Tarantino movies do. The next scene I want to talk about is it might be the best scene in the movie, is the scene with with Christopher Walken and Dennis Hopper. Right, and, and to be clear, this is the only scene with Christopher Walken. Right, yeah, they, they can only they can only afford to pay him for one day. Yeah, and it was like it's the only scene he could do. <laughs> but wow, what a scene! <laughs> Two veteran yeah. actors going toe to toe, bigger their A game, and 
you talk about amazing dialogue too, where you just, oh my god, I can't believe, you know, I can't believe he's saying that to him, you know? <laughs> it, yeah, it's, it, it's a pretty intense scene. I, I, I will, I will give it that for sure. Talking about Dennis Hopper, you talk about commanding a scene, and you're just like, no, like, you're so good at this, but don't say that. What are you doing, Dennis? No, take it back. <laughs> Yeah, but it was uh he he yeah. knew he was gonna get he knew he was uh he knew he was gonna re- reach his end. Oh I, as soon as the scene starts, I mean like I think that's just it. Like everybody they, they like the characters know, the audience knows, like everybody knows what's about to go down. They just don't know what's about to be said before it goes down. I'm trying to think of the next scene I wanna talk okay. Well okay the, the one character I wanna talk about is who is the tiniest of tiny roles is Brad Pitt as like the super high guy. I, I thought you were going to talk about uh, Samuel L. Jackson. Samuel, oh, that was even quicker, wasn't it? Fuck, man! I I saw him and I was like, man, he's in another. I was like, good, he's gonna. No, he's he. I don't, does he even have a line? I think he's just dead. <laughs> yeah, I think I, I I think he had two or three lines of dialogue. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> very suggestive dialogue at that. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I, I, I wouldn't even I wouldn't even call him Samuel L. Jackson. I would just call him Sam Jackson at that point because he, he may as well not have been in that movie. It made no difference. <laughs> and this is the same year Samuel L. Jackson came out with Jurassic Park. It was '93. Yeah, but but it's it's cool because I think in almost all Quentin Tarantino movies have Samuel L. Jackson in it. I think he's only. I think he's not in two of them, two or yeah, three maybe. But so yeah. you know, I, I I don't know if like that became a theme or like maybe that's what helped get him the role for Pulp Fiction. Um, you know, because Pulp Fiction came out in '94, so right. I'm, I'm sure it was, it was something, some some behind the scenes related. Like, oh, you gotta make sure he's in your movie, and um, and it happened, and they work magic together, and they have ever since. Yeah. So the. The one scene I want to talk about that was very unsettling the whole time is the scene with uh, Patricia Arquette and James Gandolfini. You talk about a brutal, ruthless scene that has very... It's Quinn Tarantino ran all over it. Yeah. How were you during that scene? You watched this by yourself, right? Uh, no, actually, uh, the woman and I watched it because it being a romance movie and all that, you know, so. Right, true romance, of course. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, it, yeah, yeah, you're not wrong. Like, it, it's, it's a scene. The part that stands out, I'm not sure why, but he asks her to turn around, right? Yes. And then she's turning the wrong way for, uh, correct, uh, again, I'm going by memory here, but. So basically, she's turning the one way, and he's right-handed. She's turning the wrong way to basically go into his fist, right? So he gets her to start turning the other way, so that way it'll coordinate with the fist he's about to punch her with. <laughs> and I'm like, <laughs> it, it really sticks out to thing. me because it's like, man, like, like I, it, it, there, there's a lot of thought that went into that. You know what I mean? And like, and it's. I, I, yeah, I, I guess like it, it, and that, and that is really what I guess sticks out for it being Tarantino. Like it, it, you wouldn't find that in any other movie. Like nobody would think that way where they're just like, oh, I want her, I want this little hundred pound woman to turn it into my fist. 
<laughs> just because it'll be that much more effective. Like, <laughs> yeah, I could definitely, I could definitely see it being written that way. And yeah, I like, it, and it like it really it stuck out to me. I was like, damn, I was like, that's like that's sadistic, like next level sadistic. He's enjoying like not not necessarily Tony Soprano or whatever, but like. The, the the character in is enjoying like the the pain he's obviously causing uh the, the this woman right so yeah he was definitely yeah. seen to be getting off by it and that he's yeah. done this many times before but then obviously it hasn't been enough because you know he, he he got cocky and you know when you get cocky in a situation like that you end up dead it, it, it did make me wonder, though. I mean, like, when she pulls out the corkscrew on the Swiss Army knife, like... Yes. I don't know that that would go through somebody's shoe and foot to the degree it does in that. I, I really don't think it would. Like, I just... I don't I don't buy it. I, I almost want to do, like, a Mythbusters on that just to see... <laughs> it, it just... You know what I mean? Like, I, I don't know. I remember seeing that. I was like, that's a corkscrew, man. Like, I, I well, if, if you went really slowly <laughs> and applied some pressure and went turning, like, sure... Like, well, it does depend, I'm, I guess, the amount of amount of force be, being brought with it, right? But that—that's why it, I need a MythBusters for this. I—I—I like, I, I don't know. In my mind, it, it's not working. Mm. But uh, maybe it would. I don't know. Even, but it's, even with the amount of force, I feel like it just wouldn't go anywhere. Like, especially if you've ever seen one of those corkscrew bits on the Swiss Army knife. It's like, I don't know. Maybe, maybe I'm on the glue. Yeah. I, I, maybe I got a project to do. I, I don't know how I would test this without my own foot, which I don't really want to sacrifice if I'm wrong. So, <laughs> but for sleepy games, maybe, maybe, yeah, <laughs> anything's possible on this podcast. Let's let's get forward to the last scene. Okay, see yeah, where, where everything comes, everything comes together. No, no, not that. No, the the climax. That's the last I'm, sorry. I'm sorry, the climax in the movie. Oh, the climax. Where where all the characters come together. Right, as they do in Tarantino movies, they have to. Were Were you expecting all this? It's almost become a trope at this point. I realize this is an old movie, uh, and maybe I guess one of the ones that maybe kind of started that whole thing, but it's just, it's almost becomes plot armor that they need everyone to meet up at the exact same time. Yeah, I guess I've just seen it done in too many, too many types of movies. Like Tarantino's done it again. He did it in uh, Pulp Fiction. Uh, it was kind of the same thing. I remember, I don't know if you remember that Will Smith one, uh, Enemy of the State. Yes. Same thing. There's a, kind of like that final scene, I think is just. It was I, very I, similar I, to that. And Tom, yeah. Tom Sizemore was also in that scene. Well, imagine that. <laughs> <laughs> so, and it, I, I guess for me, it's just, I don't know. Maybe I've seen too much of that to be like, I saw it and I was like, eh, I don't know. So that, I guess that, 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 that's it for me on that one. Did you have something else you want to add about this movie? I, what I did is I actually wrote, I wrote a trailer for it. So here's the, the trailer I recorded. I will do it in my most epic movie trailer voice that I can and yeah I guess I kind of did rip this off of the honest trailers but whatever here it goes I can't wait from the raid 
of Reservoir Dogs and the director of Top Gun comes a movie starring an actor so repulsively ugly the only way he can get laid is from an anonymously hired call girl. After ripping off the premise of 1990's Pretty Woman, the movie transitions into a mob-type thriller where a young, absolutely fog-ugly Christian Slater decides to hunt down a pimp who was really only minding his own business. Watch as over the course of mere seconds, our gruesomely unattractive protagonist transforms from a nervous comic book clerk into a veteran stone-cold killer who needs to look into the eyes of a man as he murders him. Then proceeds to use the least subtle getaway car to leave this crime scene shootout and leave other high-profile crime scenes and drive it over international border into Mexico. Featuring a criminally underused Christopher Walken, who's only seen as with Dennis Hopper playing a racist history teacher. Sam Jackson, <laughs> there for all of five seconds. Tony Soprano, only there to throw Patricia Arquette through the only non-tempered glass shower in the world. And Val Kilmer, who clearly didn't want his face to appear in this absolute train wreck of a movie. The moral of this story is that there are no consequences to selfish actions even for a protagonist whose actions are directly responsible for his father's murder, and doesn't even take the time to thank the world's greatest boss who wanted to make sure his subordinate has a very sexy birthday. Presenting 1993's True Romance, where the only true romance is between Brad and his prime stank-ass weed. That's uh, that's my trailer. Insane! Yes! Oh my god! I was trying so hard at the last moment. Oh my god! He must not enough. How was it? Was it good? That was amazing. Yes. Oh, we, we we need to pitch that to honest. I mean, it, it might be too obscure, but maybe for them to even do an honest trailer, but we should like pitch them that. Like, <laughs> like we have an honest trailer for you. Come on, just give us a credit. Yeah. Oh my god! Oh, we we don't need to say anything else about the movie. We can just end it on that. <laughs> Perfect. I think, I think we're good. Okay, we got, good, good. True romance is done. We can't. <laughs> Holy hell! Ooh, hope I need my inhaler. That was good. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, how how was my how was my movie voice? It was it was perfect. Yes, yeah. The, that's what set the tone, man. When you get that 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 movie trailer voice, I like it. That's that's when and when you already have what you want to say, you just keep keep that voice consistent. You you had me locked in, man. It's hard. It hurt my throat a bit, actually. We we, we might need to do more of those in the future. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see what the listeners say, man. We'll see. Hopefully, hopefully we, we we need to do it. We need to splice that out and put it on the. Um, Put on social media. Yeah, maybe what I'll do, I'll put a poll on the Spotify asking if you want more Sleepy Games honest trailers. I I love that. Yes, we have Good. to do something with that. That's so... All right. <laughs> oh, I can't wait. I can't wait. I I, I like I, this might be the post where we have that. We'll have the audio in the post, and then so it'll be a nice little preview of what to expect. Sounds good, buddy. Yeah. I, uh, I I did I did flub that one part. It, it's hard when you're reading from a script, right? So I didn't exactly practice this either. I just kind of 
Well, I, I know how actors feel. It. <laughs> well, they're also paid millions of dollars. I, I'm paid uh, with uh, well wishes. Okay, you're saying every <laughs> actor is paid million dollars. More actors are, are ba- ba- basically just get like. Oh, I guess. Hmm. Those, come on, there's a lot. Yeah, maybe they should. Maybe they should learn their lives better. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh. and, on, and on that note, let, let's go into the theme of the show. Quentin Tarantino. That, yes. That's all I got. Oh, you, is this? Did you want to start this off? By all means. Yeah, I, I, I don't have too much to uh, to add to him. I know that you <laughs> are a really big fan of him. Uh, I know that we even, uh, during our travels, I think we watched uh, one or two Tarantino movies while you, you know, and, then, and then a certain scene would come on, and I, you're, you're like locked in, laser focused, right? <laughs> James he, loves his Quentin Tarantino. He, 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 definitely, he definitely speaks to me. Um, yeah, some of my favorite movies are his, and we will definitely go into uh, which ones we think are the best, and then we'll go into probably we'll, we'll probably go into what we think are the best, and then our least favorite. Okay, let's but, start. What's the best? Well, well, before we get into that, I, actually, I want to oh. jump a fun fact about Quentin. He so remember how Elvis was in True Romance? Yeah, Val Kilmer. Yes, played by Val Kilmer. So Bruce in, Dickinson. No, so, not, not Bruce. Bruce Campbell, sorry. Not Bruce Dickinson. <laughs> Too many Bruce's. And it really is. So it and I, I assume he has a he has a, a love for Elvis. So he a- actually played an Elvis impersonator on the TV show Golden Girls. Quentin Tarantino did. Yes, he did. That so is a yeah. I wanted to throw that in there because I'm sure you know there's a lot of people that that adore Golden Girls. I'm proud to even right. realize that. Yeah, <laughs> I uh, I mean I certainly didn't know that. So. Well, most of the movie loving community, I'm sure, does not know that. So that's why I like having these obscure fun facts. More to come uh, on future shows. I like obscure ones. Yeah, like mm-hmm. where you read it in a cocktail napkin somewhere, and you're like, you know what? That is a hundred percent true. I'm not even going to look to see. <laughs> Like any validity behind that? I read it in this bar. It's true. <laughs> All right. So, uh, okay. Having said that, let's go into uh, your favorite Quentin Tarantino's. So you started off. I started off. Uh, favorite Quentin Tarantino movie uh, for me, uh, and it would be because I think it was the uh, the first one I saw. I'd say Reservoir Dogs. This was the first one you ever watched. Uh, yeah, 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 because I, yeah, I, I'm pretty sure, I could be wrong, I mean, again, you're, you're challenging my memory, because I watched these pretty much as they were coming out, so, um, it, I'm pretty sure it was Reservoir Dogs I saw first, and then I saw Pulp Fiction shortly thereafter, however, at the time, I didn't know that those were made by the same person, because, mm. again, before social, or, uh, before the internet, all that kind of stuff, like, how, how would you know? I, I didn't really care about directors for the most part. Like, it wasn't really something I usually focused on. I knew some of them, but... And then as time goes on, I guess you kind of... You start to figure out that, yeah, it's the same person, right? But, uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure Reservoir Dogs was the person I saw. And uh, it, that that one, I'd say, is uh, probably my favorite uh, Tarantino movie. So, so the first one is the best one. 
So I actually I, I don't have Reservoir Dogs in my top three. Really? I don't. Uh. Um, I I think he. Well, it, it's funny with, with Quentin Tarantino. I mean, through his career, there's like through the early ones, there's ones I love, and then the middle middle of his career, there's ones I love, and even his last movie I loved, and. It like you never. It seems almost as if like it's like every other one is one I love. It's I, I feel like it's harder for him to do back to back like like films that, that I absolutely adore. Even now, though, do you think that that's just because of your personal preference? Yes, or do absolutely. You think that's because sometimes maybe he's effing the dog, so to speak. <laughs> he's just like ah, I'm Quentin Tarantino, whatever. I'm just gonna release this and. Uh, no one will notice. <laughs> I I will say personal preference, but I also will say at the same time, I think the majority of people probably think, as far as his least favorite movies go, are probably either Death Proof or The Hateful Eight. Well, and I think that for me, though, is that with a, Death Proof is its own thing, and I... I it, I, I've, I've met people that absolutely love that movie. It's like their favorite movie of all time, right? So, like, clearly, it that is just something different. Hateful Eight, it just seemed like a ripoff of Quentin of Tarantino's like earlier work. Like, I feel like it felt a lot like he, Reservoir Dogs. Yes, it, it felt like a like a, a Western take on it, and it felt like he was kind of just dialing it in. Like, mm-hmm. like the, the very thing he talks about when people get to like movie 10 of their career when, when directors like I, I you're copying like, yourself yeah copying yourself and like just offering nothing new like it's mm. you know what I mean like it's like I, I guess when you attach your name to, to stuff like that like to the way that he does you have certain expectations going into the movie right like and, and, and anytime I hear it's a Tarantino movie, like, I do have certain expectations in that at the very least, I expect it to be like a unique concept or a unique twist, whatever, like something that I haven't necessarily seen before. And with Hateful Eight, I was like, I've seen this before because you've fucking done it. <laughs> so, yeah, for you me, done it, it was, better before. <laughs> yeah, well, and, and actually, if anything, I think in a way, if I had not seen Reservoir Dogs, I might have liked Hateful Eight more. So I don't even know. And, it, and it's so difficult for me to even judge it because I'm just like, man, like, I I don't know. And like, and, and that's the thing is like, it really, it kind of fell short of me uh, for, for it for me. So, um, yeah. I guess that, that that was a pretty pretty underwhelming movie, I think, given... Especially, it still had a pretty good cast again, so... Yeah, so if, if we're putting Death Proof to the side, I think we're, we're in agreement that The Hateful Eight is his least... His least... Like, it's it's the worst, but it's not bad, you know? Like, he, I, I don't think he has a bad movie. No, it's not It's not a bad movie. Like, right. I mean, you can certainly watch it and be like, yeah, it's all right. It, it's, a, it's a very... It's Tarantino, right? I mean, I think if you haven't seen Reservoir Dogs, maybe... I don't know, maybe you'll fucking love that movie, right? Because maybe it works better as a Western, like, rather than Reservoir Dogs. I don't know. True. And I'm someone who has a soft spot for Westerns, but... Yeah. At, at the so. same time, I, I agree with your point that it felt a lot like Reservoir Dogs and just wasn't done as well. The characters weren't as compelling. Um, but, I, you know, I, I love Samuel Jackson, that movie. I mean, he, he, I think he steals the show. 
He um, always does in uh, in everything he does. That's, <laughs> that's part part of uh, Sam Jackson's magic, except in True Romance. Honestly, <laughs> he was not know. utilized. That well. There was zero magic in that one. So. Okay, so so my favorite is as far as all time Quentin Tarantino movies is Pulp Fiction. I yeah, think. I kind of figured you were going to say that. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I do think it's not like, it's not a hot take or anything. I think majority of people probably say, I mean, they probably say whether Reservoir Dogs or Pulp Fiction are his best. And it's, it's hard not to argue that, uh, or it's hard to argue that because to me, from the, the, the way the story's structured, the characters, the dialogue, I think everything is just 10, 10, 10, 10, 10. Like everything's at its absolute best. Mm-hmm. And I feel like like I feel every scene in that movie has such presence to it. Like there's not like a, there's not a slow scene. There's not like a scene. It's like oh one's dragging and one's like oh I, I I can't wait to for this scene to end so we get to this set piece. Well, yeah, like like I was telling you, he's like Quentin Tarantino is the master of the scene, and Pulp yes. Fiction is him at his best because it's it's scene and scene and scene and scene, and they're not like a lot of them. There's almost no connection one to the other, right? Like they're just like they're just epic scenes. If you haven't seen the movie, I mean, if you haven't seen Pulp Fiction, I mean, I I, I doubt it's an old movie. Now, maybe a lot of people might not have seen it though, especially when it came out too. It was a lot of people didn't know what to think of it when it came out. It was jarring. For <laughs> That's fu- it's, it's funny you say that because I remember talking to my grandma back in the day from when I first saw. Pul- so I first saw Pulp Fiction when I was in college, and it was actually right. the first. That was the first Quentin Tarantino movie I watched. Was yeah. Pulp Fiction? Okay. And then I think I watched Reservoir Dogs, and then I watched Kill Bill. I think th- at that time it was like 2000, 2006, 2007. Those were the first ones. And so you watched these all in college. Like you weren't, yes. you weren't that young. Okay. Yes. Gotcha. I-, I watched all Quentin Tarantino movies in college up until, and then and the Inglorious Bastards was the first one I saw in theaters. Of right. Quentin Tarantino. Okay. Yeah, Quentin Tarantino. okay. So yeah. getting get back to my grandma. So I remember when I talked to her. I remember this. I remember this very well. And I brought up how I watched Pulp Fiction for the first time and how much I loved it. I was like, I'd never seen a, a story like crafted that way. I was captivated the whole time, you know, just really singing its praises. And she was like, like you, like me. And she told me, she's like me and your grandfather, we walked out of that movie. We mm-hmm. had no idea what was going on. So, so I, I find this hilarious because. I don't know if that's like a, a generational thing, like because obviously when it, when that came out, nothing was done like that before. No, not at all. It was it was unique, like it and it, and like and that's the thing is like and I, I remember when it came out, like it was and and I'm pretty sure because uh, it was a rental, like we didn't see it in theaters, but it, I watched it with my old man, and like he did not know what the fuck he watched. <laughs> yeah, I remember at the end of it because I I know he loved Bruce Willis. Yes. Um, and I'm trying to think of some other names that were because Sa- this one put Samuel Jackson on the map. Absolutely. He wasn't really known before this movie. Like, yeah, dressing. He Park, became a star. Him in there, but you didn't know who the fuck he was. Yeah, like, this made him a star. He was a household and, name after that. So, but Bruce Willis was definitely a household name. Uh, there's Christopher Walken in there, and he's got an interesting scene because he's talking about basically putting a fucking like a watch up his ass 
And, and and that's the thing is like and and even Bruce Willis has seen like those are pretty intense things to see like the first time when that came out like by today's standards it they yeah, are pretty it, it, probably pretty tame I guess but like for early nineties when this is when The Simpsons was offensive like people yes. wouldn't watch the wouldn't let their kids watch The Simpsons because what Bart was saying was offensive like you have to imagine that this is the time, right? Like that is people's sensibilities. And like you release a movie like that, it, it was pretty intense. Like, uh, like there's a lot of like stuff like rape and crap like that. Like, like obviously male rape and shit. Like it's, uh, it, there's a lot yeah, going on in it's, there. It's definitely things you have never seen in a mainstream movie before. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and it's just a disjointed way of presenting it. And I mean, again, it's a huge meta commentary on, on like movies and stuff and and, and and crap that was basically being punked out of its day. And again, correct me if I'm wrong. I don't usually care about people's uh, like uh, the personal lives. The, uh, yeah, like yeah, exactly. Actors' personal lives, directors' personal lives. Like I don't know. I don't really usually care. But in this case, I guess it is kind of relevant. And like I did know. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. I'm not the biggest fan or anything. I, like. Well, I wouldn't say I'm not the biggest fan. I'm just like, I don't really care one way or the other. But it is kind of relevant to what we're talking about. Yep. Uh, with Quentin Tarantino, he used to work in a video store. Yes, like he did. Yeah, that's how he got to start. And He watched every movie in the video store. And, and that's just it. Like, you are watching a director who is Loves basically movies. the pinnacle of meta-commentary. <laughs> and, like, that's how he makes movies. So it's a movie about other movies. Like, and that is basically what he does like it's very similar to like rick and morty in terms of like it's just commentary on all of like like pop culture and stuff yeah and i'm glad you brought that up because that's one thing i didn't mention in true romance was that he wrote he wrote um christian slater's character as such a movie buff like a lover of film like he he goes to the theaters by himself watches movies but he but he has a lot of movie knowledge right so you can, you can tell, like, he writes, you know, characters similar to himself sometimes. Like, well, I guess early in his career, cause that's probably what he knew, what he related to. So that's what you, that's why I can tell it's an early script for him. Yeah, and I think knowing that it makes it a bit, I think, easier to understand what Pulp Fiction is all about, right? right? But if you if you didn't know that going in at all, like, and that's just it, you'd be like, what the fuck did I just watch? Like, I don't. I don't understand. You need to have some sort of basis or foundation to be like, okay, like this is what this is, right? Like mm-hmm. it's, uh, and I think too, at the same time, like you almost need to be a bit of a movie buff to really fully appreciate, I think, what he's doing. So, like, as if you're kind of a casually in and out type of person or anything like that, like you just kind of watch, you know, the, the highlights of the year, especially in the nineties, right? Like some people would go out to the theaters like once or twice a year or something like that, right? It wasn't something that people just did every week or anything, right? So, yeah, it, it, I'm glad you brought that up. And the other thing that I feel that this movie, or again, back at Pulp Fiction as a whole, this one actor you forgot to mention is this. This helped revitalize John Travolta's well, right. career. Yeah, it did. He was in a, a, a he was going downhill for a bit. A lot of uh, a lot of box office bombs that that happened. I guess in the late eighties, early nineties, yeah. and then and then this movie really put him back. It did like, almost, and it, it gave him like his second prime. Yeah, that's 
probably a little strong. I mean, what exactly did John Travolta do that was that solid following that movie, though? Well, I mean... Like, no, they were okay, but, like, solid. I'm not saying that nothing. That there's nothing to top <laughs> Pulp Fiction. I'm just saying, like, he, he started being in more box office... He did, yes. He pro- did. More, like, profitable movies. Movies that actually yeah. made money for, for the studio. Yeah. So, yeah, Pulp Fiction did a lot. It's a, Actually, it's a, I shouldn't say that. I think one of Travolta's best is uh, From Paris with Love. I love that movie. <laughs> That's not the one I thought you'd say. It's great. <laughs> oh, my God. This is such a stupid movie, but my God, is it ever fun. Sorry. Anyways, back to Quentin Tarantino. Yeah, back to Quentin Tarantino. Okay. So, uh, I think, yeah, it's, it's something about Pulp Fiction that, you know, I feel like we, we've said yeah, a so lot. Yeah, so I, I definitely think, I, I know you're dying to talk about it. I'm curious because... I watched it earlier this year. I don't think I talked to you about it at some point, but I am curious. Uh, once upon a time in Hollywood, I need to know. Yes. Like, cause Ooh, I want to talk again, about this movie. kind of another movie where I I think I kind of got where it was going. I kind of get didn't at the same time. I don't know. I didn't get into this one. I'm not gonna lie. That was your first time watching or second time? My first time. I only watched it once. Only watched it once. I so, I think if if you you haven't really watched this movie until you watch it twice. Okay. Yeah, and there's we. I can go into why. So, going into the reason why I say that is because you realize how many parallels there are between. Well. As far as the three main characters go, of course you have Leo DiCaprio, Brad Pitt, and Margot Robbie. Margot Robbie being basically a supporting character compared to their roles. But the parallel I see is between Leo DiCaprio and Brad Pitt's character. So if you notice, you know, a lot of the movies, like, it goes back and forth from, like, showing what Leo DiCaprio's going through and then what Brad Pitt's going through. Yeah. And... They really show, and like, it did, it, it's funny, because when I watched it the second time, that's when it clicked. And when it would, especially when it showed the scenes from when he was shooting the Western, um, where he was playing the villain, you know, and, and he had the great scene with, with that little girl. Right. And, you know, and then showed like the actual scene where he acted his ass off, and the girl's like, that's some of the best acting I've ever seen in my whole life. <laughs> and then he's Speaking like of which, actually, the one thing I do remember from that movie—I I don't know who the little girl is—but she is actually pretty good actress. She's so amazing. Like, yeah, yeah. I was like, damn. I was like, that's uh, wait, <laughs> way to continue on those child labor laws, Hollywood. And <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I loved too how they made her like a method actor, where she's like, where she stays in character even when she's offset. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was like, it, again, it, the movie for me, like, it had its moments, I just, yeah, like, I, I don't know, I guess, yeah, I probably do need to watch it a second time. Yeah, so, um, yeah, so, I want to get back to that, so, so that, so when they're showing the scene where he's shooting the Western, and mm-hmm. you kind of, you kind of, you kind of, you know, he, he's being shot as the villain, and at the same time, you have Brad Pitt almost, like, living a life of a Western, where he's going to to the that film ranch, tensions are high at that scene. You, like he kind of feels like a, like an outlaw or a cowboy, 
like right. this, this rolling up on that ranch and, and you have no idea like what's going to be happening to him. And I, I love the way they, cause it's not something that's spelled out. Like you have to like think about it. Like and just be like, Oh wait, I see what he's trying to do here. Like it's, 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 it's not something that's obvious, but and that's why I think when you watch the second time, it just flows better. Things connect more. You understand why certain scenes are there. Because I can understand when you're watching it for the first time, and especially when you're seeing Margot Robbie scenes, you're just like, why am I watching this? Why, I, why am I watching her go to the movie theater? Why am I watching her listen to records, go to, go to parties? And what, what I see, what I noticed watching the second time as well is your Quentin Tarantino basically wanted to showcase or have like a celebration of life and dedicate that to Sharon Tate and just show like the the best sides of her character or, or just portray okay this is this is how she was in real life this is what she enjoyed if she was still alive this is what she'd be doing Okay, and like uh, you know, for for our listeners and, and and well, and a bit myself, like, do you mind, uh, like, who is Sharon Tate? Like, why so is she relevant? Sharon Tate was a, an up and coming actress in the '60s who she was, was murdered, right? Right, she was murdered. Was, the whole Helter Skelter, Charles Manson, yeah, uh, very brutal murder, and that's what kind of shocked Hollywood. And what? So, and this is a good segue. So. What Quintino, what Quint, Tarantino started doing in some of his films is he will take real life history and make it with a little bit of fiction, right? Like Inglorious Bastards, and like he kind of altered some of history for for that movie, obviously. Correct, and yeah. so he definitely, I, I, I like, I like a well, a director and a writer where he uses real life events and then he'll put his spin on it at the end. Where, where you're thinking because in your head you know what really happens in real life, especially in one spot time in Hollywood, you know what happens in real life. So your your mind's thinking like, oh my god, this can't be good. This can't be good. This can't be good. And I, I, I mean, I, I think that last scene, I kind of don't want to talk about it too much because I, I think it's one of the best scenes he's ever filmed. Is that last scene in, in, in uh, one spot time in Hollywood? And I remember Brad Pitt in that scene. I was, I literally was almost dying of laughter with how, with how funny he was when he was, uh, he was tripping on acid. Yes, that is a, yes, that, that is a pretty memorable scene. And I will say too, uh, that's that is one of the best dogs in film history as well. Brandy, Brandy the dog. She's a good girl. <laughs> yeah, so. I am I'm really expressing my love for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and I think I'm, I'm giving you reason enough to maybe watch it again. Maybe uh, since, since you watched it kind of recently, maybe give it some more time before you watch it. I might do that. Like I, it, with with Quentin Tarantino, I will say because I've probably seen Pulp Fiction now probably three or four times over the course of my life, and yeah, like every time I see it, like I definitely kind of catch more. Um, but yeah, like for, for me, I think Reservoir Dogs, I think 
I don't want to go into it too 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 deep. I, I know we already talked about it. It just to me that just seems the most unique. Mm-hmm. Like it's just a unique idea. It doesn't seem like heavy commentary on anything. It's just a story. Like I, I don't know. I, mean, I I found it very captivating the first time I I saw that movie. So I'll be curious. So is Pulp Fiction your second, or is that or what's your third? Uh, for second, they're always interesting. Mine's uh, the glorious bastards. It's easy. Yeah, <laughs> I kind of figured you were gonna say that. I, I did actually like Django and Jane. I don't know if it's one that I I even want to watch a second time. Uh, but it it was good, and I I always forget that who's the who's the guy that's the same actor in that Jimmy movie. Fox? No, 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 no. The the other one that's also in uh, Inglorious Bastards. Oh, same. oh, Christoph Waltz. Christoph that Waltz. That guy. Yes. Quentin has put him on the map. Th- this is the thing: is like the the few times I've ever seen that guy on the screen, when he's on, I am glued to him. Like yes. he is, like he's hypnotic in his in his acting. There's a, there's no other way to put it. Like I I, I don't know. It, it just. Like, the scenes, like, he steals them. Like, I mean, and I think that, yeah, like, they're written really well for him, but, like, he's he's terrific. He's a terrific actor. And yeah, I think it, that, it, yeah. I, I want to go into that a little bit, because I feel like Quentin Tarantino is the only director who's gotten the best out of Christoph Waltz. Like, he really knows how to utilize his strengths as an actor. Yeah, I guess so, yeah. And I feel like well, no one else has done as good, no one's done as good a job as, as he has. I mean, he literally... Got him two Oscars off his only roles with Quentin Tarantino, with well, the Bastards and, and uh, Django Unchained. I, I would argue, actually, on that on that topic too, that uh, one of Leo's best performances, if not maybe even his best performance, like Django Unchained, like it's yes. phenomenal. Yes, like it, he is intense in that one. Like it, it's yeah. I, it, it, I read somewhere that that's. Quentin Tarantino said that's the only character that he's written that he's ever hated. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like yeah. hated with a deep passion. <laughs> yeah, and it's like an, an it, it is like an so I'd say my second my second favorite would probably be Django Unchained, but like I said, I, I saw it in theaters. I haven't watched it since and like I don't really know that I want to. Like it, again, it's 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 one of those movies that leaves me like drained at the end of it, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's just like yeah, I guess there's some some history and stuff in there, but it, it's it's an intense movie, like however you want to put it. Uh, and Samuel L. Jackson's character in that movie is it's interesting. Like I, I, that's also it's one of his best roles too. He's, yeah, and it like it's and again like it it's an interesting watch. Like it, I, I it's one of those movies that I would recommend everyone at least like. I think for Tarantino, like, if you're going to watch, for me, if you're going to watch one movie that I think is probably more for mainstream audiences, I think, in a way, because, again, like, it's got a very singular type of story. It's not some major commentary on anything. There's obviously the topics of racism and slavery and stuff like that, but it, it I think it's the most, like digestible movie of his movies where it's like some of them I don't even understand what the fuck he's going at like Grindhouse like I don't Death Proof Death Proof yeah 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 the Kurt Russell one yeah I don't know what the hell that was about (laughs) 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 what am I watching 
Like, it's just a bunch of stuff. I was like, I don't understand. Like, Are you sure you wrote this, Quentin? Did someone else write this for you? Yeah, you, you know who wrote that one? Cocaine wrote it. Like, let's be real here. <laughs> yeah, so uh, uh, let me end this off with talking about um, kind of just a brief summary of why Quentin Tarantino is one of my favorite directors. So... When it comes to, I always think with Quentin Tarantino, it's an event when he comes out with a new movie. Because a lot of times you don't know what you're going to get. I mean, it could be, it's either going to be fantastically great or just good, okay, but never bad. And I think with his last movie coming out, I mean, I want to be his best yet. I I, I know that his new movie is going to be called The, The Movie Critic. Uh, I don't believe he's announced any anything with the cast a, as of yet. It is definitely on my radar. It is most anticipated to watch. I mean, because what a great event that's going to be. I mean, he's considering his last movie, so seeing his last movie in theaters, you know, he's gonna he's gonna want to go out for with a bang. When is it? When is it supposed to be coming out? When's it released? Yet? I would imagine, if I had to guess, I would say late next year. I would say late 2024. Okay, so I guess... 2025. I guess 2025, we know what we're talking about on the podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, we will definitely have an episode dedicated to that movie. And actually, that could be a fun thing for future episodes, to to dedicate an episode, especially with the blockbuster season coming. Because... Another one of my favorite directors is is uh, Christopher Nolan. I know he's coming out with Oppenheimer. We might need to do a show just for that movie. Because mm. yes. I mean, spoiler. Hey, if we're going into favorite directors, he's my favorite. <laughs> oh wow! So why did we start with Quentin and not not Christopher Nolan? Well, that's because we're waiting for the new movie. We want to time it. it. We're going to time this right, man. It always it always ends up working out. Yes, it does. It's <laughs> here on the Sleepy Games Podcast. So, yeah, so so that's it for Quentin. So we, we kind of want to end the show talking about how we just uh, launched um, our social media page on Instagram, uh, Sleepy Games Podcast on Instagram. Thank you for all the follows, likes, listens. All that stuff, like, yes. I don't know. It, it is humbling to me that anyone wants to listen to my nonsense on a podcast. So. <laughs> it's flattering, um, right? <laughs> it, it is. And, 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 you know, that also talks about, obviously, there's a guest coming on, like, and obviously, it's a guest a person that's obviously been listening to the show, too. Like, and I like it. That, that is, uh, it's exciting. I'm, uh, I'm looking forward to it and I'm pretty excited for next week. For next week, we're bringing on a guest, and he's known to be uh, a hater of movies that are otherwise beloved. So we we will we will be bringing his hot takes on the show, and and having a because I, I think I think it's better when we have some uh, some people who don't agree with the same things that we do. Sleepy John. Exactly. I, I, I'm sure our <laughs> listeners have disagreed with many things that have been said on this show. <laughs> but we want that. We we, we want to hear from you. Uh, so be sure to like leave any comments you can on Instagram or even just message us if you have any ideas that you want to hear on the show. 
Well, so we'll end on that. Thanks for listening to our show. And as always, we wish you a pleasant slumber. Cheers. <laughs>